Hi, everybody. Welcome to Producing the Beatles, the podcast dedicated to exploring the untold story of producer George Martin's revolutionary collaboration with John, Paul, George, and Ringo. I'm your host, Jason Krupa, and today we'll be taking a look at the making of From Me to You, a deceptively simple recording that tells us a great deal about George Martin's role in producing the Beatles' early records. We tend to think of these early records as pretty straightforward, without much production, especially in comparison to the recordings from 1966 onward. But while simple and straightforward may describe the effect of these songs, it doesn't really tell us much about the work it took to get them ready for release. In 1994, Martin recalled, quote, My specialties were beginnings and endings and solos. If they presented me with a song, I would start thinking about how to arrange it so that it got off to a cracking start, had something interesting going on in the middle, and went out with a big bang. You can only sing a pop song through once, and this is not generally long enough, so you need maybe a middle eight, a guitar solo, a repeated chorus, and an outro. A pretty simple formula, really, but they relied on me to do it. Martin's comments could apply to any number of Beatles recordings in the first couple of years of their career, from Love Me Do to Please Please Me to She Loves You. But for Me to You is a special case because it required more work than those other songs. For Me to You is also important to our story for another reason. While the recording paperwork for Love Me Do, Please Please Me, and She Loves You still exists, The session tapes for each of these songs were destroyed by EMI at some point in the 60s. But with From Me To You, we have the complete session tapes, which allow us to listen to the entire process of the record's creation from beginning to end. And today, that's exactly what we're going to do. Listen to selections from those tapes to hear how From Me To You went from a hastily written, incomplete song to a polished recording that would become the Beatles' next number one hit. We'll also talk to writer and music producer Jerry Hammock to learn how these early recordings were constructed on this episode of Producing the Beatles. They did come up with a speeded-up version of something I heard earlier on, and it was called Please Please Me. And in the early part of 1963, they appeared on television singing this song and it became number one in Britain. And I said to them, okay, now you've made one number one hit, go away and write something else which isn't just as good as this, but better. Between the marathon sessions for their first album on February 11th, 1963, and their studio appearance for their third single on March 5th, the Beatles played a live show every single night. That's 20 shows in a row without a break, leaving John and Paul time to write only while riding the bus between performances. Considering the inhospitable circumstances under which it was composed, it shouldn't be surprising that when the Beatles walked into the studio that day in March with From Me to You, the song had only the roughest of arrangements. No doubt because of this, the Beatles had originally slated it as the B-side of the single, But by the time Martin helped them polish it up, they decided to put it on the A side. But we've got a long way to go before we get there. 
Remember from our third episode, where we talked about how George Martin was still recording the Beatles on twin-track tape in early 1963. Well, we're still there, with instruments all on one channel and vocals on the other channel. Here's how the session started. This is how the Beatles had originally intended the song to begin, with George playing the intro riff on guitar. But in June 1963, looking back on the session only a few months before, George Martin recalled that he, quote, suggested they sing the opening with harmonica accompaniment, end quote. The singing in the harmonica intro would have to be overdubbed, which they'd do later in the session. For the moment, they had to get a good basic performance on tape. I just thought I heard you talking, actually. Take one broke down, and while takes two and three were complete, there was a problem. The song clocked in at about a minute and 50 seconds, a little short for the desired two-minute minimum for a pop song. Still, Martin had them recorded again. Just before this take, take four, John makes it clear that he thinks they've done the best they can with the performance. The Beatles played this take a bit faster, which ended up making the recording even shorter, down to about a minute 45. But Martin had a solution. Here, he stopped the recording, and together with the Beatles, he worked out a new call and response section to be added after the third verse. The final recording of this section would sound like this. Again, the harmonica, bass, and guitar would come during the overdubbing stage later in the session. When the tape started up again on take five, we hear John trying to clarify exactly what they should play in this section. Five. Yeah, he'd do the first bit, but not the second bit, he said. Are you with us? George is to play the first bit of instrumental, isn't he? They finally nailed the complete performance on take seven, including the new bit in the middle. From here, they moved on to recording the other side of the single, Thank You Girl, which they knocked out in six takes. The final recording would be an edit of takes six and 13 with an additional overdub, but Martin wouldn't get to that until March 13th. They'd finished with Thank You Girl for the moment and returned to From Me To You to finish off that recording. This is where things get a little complicated. First, John Hatton brought a harmonica to the session, signaling just how much the Beatles had intended the guitar intro for the song to stand. But Martin saw the harmonica as a way to add impact to the intro, and it also served to maintain continuity with the Beatles' first two singles, Love Me Do, Please Please Me. 
they managed to borrow a harmonica from one of the engineers at Abbey Road and set to work. Again, since Martin had recorded the basic track onto twin track tape, the overdubs would have to be done using the tape-to-tape technique we discussed in episode 3. Now, it seems they had originally intended to record these overdubs in one pass, and John nailed the intro just fine. This is slated as track 2, They made it through the call and response section too before Martin stopped the tape. For the next take, slated as track two, take nine, he began by re-recording this section. But at the end, John missed his cue. The next take, slated as track 2, take 10, focused on just the ending. That finished off the instrumental overdubs and the middle section, but Martin also wanted them singing over the intro, even if he apparently didn't know exactly what he wanted them to sing. So they tried three ideas. This is Eddie Piece 4, take 11. Then this one, which will sound familiar. Track two, take 12. And finally, this one, track two, take 13, which I think you'll agree they wisely discarded. With recording complete, Martin and engineer Norman Smith were now left to piece together the final mix. On March 14th, they edited together takes 12, 8, 9, and 10. That's the vocal intro and the harmonica parts in the rest of the song. But what about that harmonica overdub for the intro? Martin wanted that playing along with the vocal intro, so it couldn't simply be spliced in. The only option was to manually synchronize these tapes. To explain how this kind of synchronization was done, I spoke with author and producer Jerry Hammack. Hi, I'm Jerry Hammack. I'm the author of the Beatles Recording Reference Manuals. I work as a uh, writer and an audio engineer and producer in Toronto. So walk us through this process. How would they have done this in 1963? The idea is that we're starting two machines running at the same speed at the same time. One machine had the master edit from takes 12, 8, 9, and 10. The other machine had take 8 on it. Now, to manually sync these machines, what was required was that the tape operator is essentially hitting the play buttons on both machines at the right time. 
In order to do this, they would mark the tapes on both machines, and accounting for the spool-up time, the amount of time it takes for a machine to go from zero to its running speed. So they would make a mark on the tape and roll the tape back to that mark that allowed for that spool-up time to happen. So this was a very imprecise process. In cases later, because they were doing this up to 1967 on the pepper sessions, where the machines weren't automatically linked together by a mechanical process, it would take them multiple times, like nine or ten tries, to make the synchronization work correctly. But it's essentially that, a grease mark pencil on the tape to sync the tapes together in their playback. So they put the first tape, which they'd splice together from the edit pieces, onto one tape machine. Then they put the second tape, with take eight, the harmonica intro overdub, on another tape machine. And as both tapes were running, recorded to a third machine. And the result... Martin had already taken the Beatles down this road before with overdubs for Love Me Do and Please Please Me. And like From Me To You, Please Please Me was recorded without the harmonica. Which was then added in a tape-to-tape overdub. And then, just like From Me To You, the final recording was edited together from several pieces of tape. And although it didn't feature harmonica, She Loves You was constructed in much the same way, most likely for vocal overdubs. Some writers hear as many as six splices in She Loves You. Here's Jerry Hammock again. There is the myth with these early recordings that they're just one take, one performance live all the way. And in so many cases, it's an illusion. But the wonderful thing about recording in general is that it's all an illusion. You know, we make the best version. You'll never hear that song live the way that you'll hear it when it's recorded because microphones are only capture an approximation of the sound. And then through the compression and equalization and sweetening techniques that you might use on a track, you're also altering, amplifying, diminishing aspects of the performance. So even the most live performance is rarely live once an engineer gets its hands on it to uh, make it the best it can be. All this tape editing may seem cumbersome, but this wasn't really an unusual practice. In looking through paperwork at EMI archives, I ran across many instances of tape editing in George Martin's productions before the Beatles. EMI studio paperwork also reveals that producer Nori Paramore and engineer Malcolm Addy performed the same kind of surgery when crafting Cliff Richard's early 1960s recordings like the one you're hearing now. I'll never let you go. This wasn't a particularly English technique either. Just one example of many is this 1955 hit by Fats Domino. During recording sessions for the song, Domino and his band never laid down a complete take free of mistakes. But once the musicians left the studio, engineer Bunny Robine realized he could edit the pieces they'd recorded into a complete performance. With scissors and a few pieces of sticky tape, 
Robine rescued Blueberry Hill from the discard pile and turned it into a number one hit loved around the world. On Blueberry Hill It lingered until Getting back to the Beatles, there are a couple of things to consider here. First, by continuing this method of piecing together a finished recording from different performances, all carefully orchestrated during the recording session, Martin was repeatedly driving home a particular process for making a pop record. In essence, Martin was showing them how a recording could be crafted and perfected through overdubbing and editing. It's remarkable to me the complexity of these early Beatles recordings. Even though they are very simple tunes, the technical savvy required to bring them together and bring the best performances that the Beatles could offer together into a finished product always amazes me. Essentially live performances in a lot of ways, but Martin wasn't above carving them into their most ideal form through whatever tools he had at his hand. And in this period, it was edit pieces and then physical edits of the master tapes. Second, with the recording of From Me To You, Martin was also continuing to demonstrate how committed he was to working with them to get the best out of their songs. From the very beginning, with Love Me Do, Martin took several sessions to get the recording right. When they played him a slow version of Please Please Me that he didn't like, he didn't reject the song outright, but encouraged them to speed it up and work on the arrangement. After seeing how they improved that song, Martin urged them to write something better. And while From Me To You, as it first appeared in the studio, may not have been better, Martin helped the Beatles get the song in shape and made it better. Here's Paul from a 2002 interview with the BBC. We knew we had talent, but we knew we needed to develop. And the thing is, when you don't know what it's like inside the recording studio, when you don't know how the whole songwriting thing goes, it takes you at least a few months to get the hang of it. He was definitely the grown-up, and he sort of helped us into the whole thing. What I'm getting at here is that Martin's guidance and support of the Beatles throughout their first year in the studio was incredibly important because it laid a foundation for everything that followed. If simply signing them to a record contract gave them firm ground on which to stand as recording musicians, Martin's unflagging encouragement helped them blossom into recording artists. From the Beatles' perspective, and especially that of Lennon and McCartney, this encouragement was invaluable. Here was a member of the record industry establishment, a man who had worked with Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan, whom the Beatles admired, giving them his implicit approval, while at the same time pushing them to do better. Back in 1963, George Martin released From Me To You as the Beatles' third single on April 11th. Within three weeks, it would reach number one and would become the second biggest selling single of the year in Britain. The number one selling single of the year would be the Beatles' next release, She Loves You. Thanks for listening. Producing the Beatles is written, directed, edited, and produced by Jason Krupa. That's me. Big thanks to Jerry Hammock for talking to us about the process behind these early recordings. If you want to know more about the kinds of details we discussed today, look for Jerry's books, The Beatles Recording Reference Manuals. 
Volumes 1 through 3, covering 1961 to 1967, are available now, and he's currently at work on Volume 4. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at PTBeatles, and for more information, including show notes and references, check out our website, producingthebeatles.com. You can also find our email there if you have questions or comments. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to rate us on iTunes and let everyone know about us every way you can. And to make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to us using your favorite podcast platform. Music